Hi, this is Cassius Felicella, and you're listening to Homebrew, a podcast dedicated to everything startup related. My guest today is Eve Halimi. Eve is the co-founder and co-CEO of Alinea. Alinea is an investing app for Generation Z, detailing how companies make money, how they treat their stakeholders, as well as their environmental impact. Eve is also a YC alum, and her company recently closed a $2 million round in August of this year. Given her incredibly busy schedule, we feel very lucky that she's able to join us on the program today. You've got a pretty cool story. You're originally from Paris, which I think is awesome. You ended up in New York, and you've started multiple companies, and you are where you are today, raising rounds. You've hired quite a few staff on the team. Like, What made you always kind of consider these business endeavors from the start? Because I feel like a lot of people are kind of on that deferred life plan trajectory, whereas you kind of did the opposite. You just embraced everything right away. Yeah, absolutely. I just kind of took... Uh, any chance I got from a young age. So the age of 10, I was selling ta- fake tattoos on the beach um, with with some of my cousins and friends. And I kind of built up this team of, of young girls and we were selling bracelets, tattoos, headbands, and so on. And so I, wherever I went, I, I just kind of did what I felt was something I liked. And... Right. Um, and yeah, and it's where it's, it's what's taken me to where I am today. Were your parents entrepreneurs as well? Or was this something that perhaps you maybe learned in school? Or was this just kind of a narrative that you drove yourself? My parents were in the financial industry. So from a young age, so it's very related to what I'm doing today, because uh, I was kind of born in this world. But they were very much against the entrepreneurial path, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Like what was, yeah. I mean, those conversations probably weren't easy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, they're very traditional French parents. So for them, you had to get a job. You had to stay in your job like, for the rest of your life. You shouldn't move jobs. Um, and um, and yeah, and, and being an entrepreneur, they were some failed entrepreneurs in my family. Some and uh, they just they always saw that as a as risky and untraditional path uh, that didn't bring you success. What would you say was a bit? of a cultural difference between, I I guess, you know, you can't speak for all of Europe, obviously, but what was the biggest schism that you kind of noticed from that European mentality maybe versus that North American mentality? Yeah, that's there's such a difference even till today with my friends. I see it. (laughs) (laughs) Like when you're in France or Paris, especially growing up, like there are certain paths you have to take, right? You are either a doctor, a lawyer, um, yeah, basically like no one really goes the entrepreneurial route, um, or you're a banker, sorry. Like those are the, the routes I, I'm seeing. And especially doctors and lawyers are supposed are, are seen as the most reputable and best careers that you can have. And so, yeah, growing up in that kind of culture, um, you, your family always expects you to just follow one path and, and do that for the rest of your life. And, um, coming to the U.S. and and studying at Barnard Columbia University, I really realized that there was so much more out there that you could do. Right. What What was that tipping point? Do you think then? I I think I I came into school. I um, started to meet a lot of people. Uh, went to career fairs. Started seeing that I started seeing that I could get internships at mm-hmm. different places, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! I can learn." Um, get rewarded for it 
and also just kind of see what I like. And so that's when I, I my first year, my first semester, I went into school. Being in New York also made it very easy to do so. And I uh, I went on to work for Mogul um, as my first internship. Yeah, well, because you've worked at Goldman as well. I mean, it's not like you had a difficult time getting in the door. You got those positions, right? So uh, I'm really curious, like, was there ever an individual or a mentor in these roles that maybe motivated you to start your own thing initially? Or was it the fact that you were immersed in that environment and you realized, you know, this this really isn't for me? Yeah, I, I think it was um, coming from a, seeing my family come from a traditional background of finance and my, right. my, my mom spent over 25 years at Citibank and I just didn't want to have that career. I wanted to, and when I started having these internships and, and learning different things at different places, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be stuck in a corporate career for the rest of my life. And so for, I, I was fortunate enough to start uh, interning from a young age at different financial firms where I was able to understand the corporate culture there. That wasn't a fit for me. Right. Um, and, but, but not so much a mentor, but what really helped me was joining clubs such as the core Columbia's Organization of Rising Entrepreneurs and having older classmen, upperclassmen kind of tell me their experiences and connect me with other people. That was one of the most useful um, yeah, things that I've done in, in college. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I, I, I wanted to ask about like Content Square, Entourage NYC, some of the earlier projects that you had embarked on and even... Um, even that program at Columbia, like what were those experiences like? What did you learn? What do you think that other young people can maybe take away from endeavors that they're on right now and push them forward? Yeah, I think looking back, the best thing was trying a lot of different things. Um, and that, that's what I always um, recommend or suggest for, for young entrepreneurs or, or young people in school to, to really try out um, and have as many experiences from a young age. Uh, when I started Entourage, it was with one of my closest friends uh, and a roommate. And so we wanted to basically bring different people together for events and promote startups because mm-hmm. we, we loved going to startup events, but there was no way of bringing our friends and, and our surroundings together for these kinds of um, events. And so we, and that's where the name Entourage came. It was about creating a new entourage um, in, in those places. And so we, we started doing it. We had a few events, but we had a lot of issues with um, like issues with with serving alcohol, for example, at events. A lot of our friends were under right. 21 and we couldn't. Uh, there, there was a problem with a lot of people attending the events because they weren't overage. So um learned a lot from from that experience um, and learned about a lot about what I was passionate about and, and what I wasn't. So. Uh, that was a great, great experience. And uh, I joined Content Square right after graduating from Columbia. Uh, that was an incredible experience because I was working under the chief of staff and the CEO. So we were working on the fundraising. I was working kind of like on, uh, with every single team in the, the company and addressing issues, fixing the issues. It was a very strategic um, and, and incredible role. What did you learn about assembling a team? Because you mentioned that you worked with a few friends. Was that, I mean, clearly you know them at a deeper level than someone you just met off the street. Is there ever kind of that 
you know, things get a little too personal sometimes. I've always been, I've always wondered that. Oh my gosh. What, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> Working with friends is a dangerous path. Uh, friends or a uh, partner in life. Like it, it's always really dangerous because you know the person so well that you. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. Uh, my co-founder today of Alenias, she's actually, she wasn't my friend in college. We were doing both uh, our econ majors together, but we weren't in the same friend group at all. And so when we actually met, we saw how complimentary we were to each other uh, and how how amazing of a partnership that was uh, compared to work, working with friends. Yeah, that's really cool. Like, what were those first conversations like? Like, how did you, of course, you're at the same school. I'm sure you've crossed yeah. paths before, maybe the same classes. But what, what was that initial spark that, that made things kick off, so to speak? We both were very much coming back from summer internships on Wall Street. We, she had done Citibank. I had done Goldman and a hedge fund internship. And so mm-hmm. we, we liked the same. We both had the same interests and passions for sure. But we had never worked together on any class project. And we randomly were assigned um, to an entrepreneurship class our senior year and just ended up, she she ended up messaging me being like, hey, would you mind being partners? I don't really want to be solo on this project. And I I don't really feel like I, I can work with anyone else here. Um, right. And I, I just, we kicked it off and we just continued working together. It was it was a very special link right away that we that's, had. That's awesome. I, I was watching actually a Paul Graham interview a little bit earlier today, and he was just talking about how how counterintuitive startups can be. So I guess in the context of starting the team, or I mean, even in general, like what was one of the most counterintuitive points um, when it came to building the business? Yeah, so what we initially did wrong, actually, that this was interesting, was that we kind of wanted to hire random people because um, we thought that people with more expertise or more experience were going to be a better fit. Okay. But that right. was not automatically the case. Uh, what we realized when we've been, since we've been building out our engineering team out in New York is that it's actually people that you know from your, your second circle your, um, or that you have a connection with that are the best people to be working with. And it's a, a device that Michael Siebel constantly gave us during Y Combinator. Um, he always says your first 20 hires should be the people around you, not yes. your direct best friend, but it should be a link of a link, essentially someone that you know in your network. And um, and so, yeah, we that, that was one of the best lessons we, we kind of figured out. Um, I, I guess for people that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone struggles this with this to some degree, but that issue of imposter syndrome and coming up to people that, you know, you might not know that well, you're pitching this idea, it might go somewhere, it might not, especially in the early days. Yeah. Give me advice for perhaps honing that confidence a little bit and not being afraid of getting no's. Yeah, I think um, talking to people who have done this before is the best uh, way to go. We initially were pitching to to VCs and investors, and we're constantly getting no's, 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 and we we didn't really have anyone to practice with that had experience raising a seed round or raising a Series A round. We we were yeah. kind of going blindly at it and thinking that we were right, but when you're actually sitting down with someone who's done it before, and they can really coach you and help direct your pitch. Um, and and your idea and re- just re- remake your your idea and your 
your proposal much stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And how has that kind of progressed? Like we were, we were speaking before about how to avoid vanity metrics, like valuation, the size of your team, and really making something that people want at the end of the day. So how have you kind of balanced that confidence and competence, but also with vulnerability so that your team, you know, understands that, you know, you're a person like everyone else. You're, you're not a robot, you know, you've got, you're going to have great days, you're going to have good days, and then you're going to have okay days as well. Absolutely. It's very, uh, being a startup founder is very much a roller coaster of emotions, right? Constantly you, you have these highs of a roller coaster and then these lows where it, it's either you're, it's like best, the best time of the world or like, or you, you're <laughs> complete depression. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's no in between. It's hard. It's you're really hard. Yeah. All the time. Um, no, but it's, it's fun. It's really like, <laughs> I enjoy it so much. Um, but but apart, I mean, what why Combinator did super well, and why I think it's like the best incubator in the world, is that they constantly tell you you're not doing something for your investors. Your investors are not your boss. Your customers are your boss. Right. And so every day you kind of get you remind yourself that like you're building something not for the valuation, not for the press. You're building something for your customers. Um, and so the, my most important metric to look at is retention. Right. Is seeing how many of our customers are coming back, are seeing value in this product and are reinvesting time and energy in it. So, um, so it's, yeah, it's about also constantly talking to your customers. Like I have hundreds of customer interviews every two weeks and I do that just because I need to understand oh, that's what awesome. they are. And, and it's, yeah, it's, I wouldn't have never learned that without Y Combinator. I want to get into Y Combinator and ask about that experience. Cause again, it's incredible. What, what, what are some of the iteration points that you go over with your customers? And again, how, how have those changed the more that you've gotten to understand the space and become, I, I don't think competent is the right word, but you just get, get, become more familiar with what you're working on. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of um, understanding what to prioritize for the customers in the roadmap when after right. the these surveys and so the not just surveys but these interviews um you have to understand kind of what the pain points are and sometimes your customers will tell you they want something but they don't really necessarily want it or they don't know how to express the way that they want it so it's a lot of understanding asking questions in a specific way where there's no bias or you're limiting the bias and and kind of extracting mm -hmm. the right information so that you can prioritize what next to to build yeah now that makes a lot of sense. On that topic, talking to users, learning what they want, what was YC like? And who, who, who was on your team and what were some of the highlights there? Yeah. Uh, and, and so on that point as well, a recommended read that I have is the mom test. It's an incredible one. Um, I highly recommend it for anyone who's, uh, who's building a product and, and wants to better understand how to go about customer interviews. Um, but yes, switching over to YC, YC was very much an MBA startup school, uh, intense and, and packaged in a three months time period. Um, I, our partner that was overlooking uh, our work and, and helping us on a daily basis was Michael Siebel. So he was really, really incredible. And whenever we, you kind of feel like you need to pivot or you're, you're not really sure where you're going and you're, you're having all these doubts as a founder, Michael always kind of like 
brought you back to why you applied in the first place, why you're doing this in the first place. And, um, and he was an incredible guiding force to, to getting this product live. That's, uh, what would you say is the best piece of advice you've gotten from him? Because I've heard many things, but yeah, I, always, I always like hearing what people have to say about him. He's so he's awesome. Yeah, he, he, the best advice is that he constantly told us, like, build for what your customers want. And it's not for us specifically, it wasn't just financial returns. It was making an impact on the world. Yeah. Um, so make an impact, be a company that's going to make change. Um, and, uh, and he'd always say, like, we brought you guys because you're the team that's going to do that. So that was. That's so cool, though. Like, I, I, YC is highly coveted, number one. But to also get Michael Seibel, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, I, I want to jump to that next question that we were talking about. Um, like, the idea of CEO positions often being romanticized. And that point you touched on where it really is an emotional roller coaster, but the payoff is, is so worth it. Like, what is your kind of opinion on that? the CEO being more of a servant leadership position than more of a big shot. And like, what, what would be some of the tough questions that you might let, you know, you might tell people to ask themselves before pursuing this route? Yeah. Um, it's a lot of punches in the face <laughs> as, as, and I'm very glad and happy and fortunate to have a co-CEO because I don't think I could do this alone. Um, in full transparency, it's, I, I don't know how sole founders do it alone. Like it's such a hard job that you need someone to kind of have by your side when things get, get really rough. Um, but you're always constantly picking stuff up. That's breaking as a, you know, you're, you're right. constantly just trying your day to day is just like, like f figuring out problems. And it's, it's where the danger comes. And actually Michael always said this, like, try not to, to like try to constantly innovate and talk to customers and not just get like um, lost in all the day-to-day -day operational CEO uh, yeah. problems. Because oftentimes as a CEO, you just kind of forget what you're doing. You forget about your product and you're, you're just dealing day-to-day -day operations. How do you, I mean, that's so much easier said than done. Like what, what, are, what have been some strategies that you've done? Um, it's hard. I, like hundreds <laughs> A week or a month? That's crazy. Yeah. Like, that's a lot. Yeah. What has really helped me is kind of keeping a roadmap of what my objectives are and kind of checking in every week and seeing how, what I've been able to accomplish and what I haven't. And when I don't accomplish something, I really try to understand why it hasn't been done and why it's being postponed. Um, and if it, it continues to the second week, then it's like I just basically always kept track of what's going on and and through a roadmap, um, and it and it really helps me kind of break down my time. Um, but yeah, I I don't have the best advice here. I just kind of I don't sleep much. I don't <laughs> I don't work out much. <laughs> I don't eat super healthy. I smoke cigarettes to handle with stress. <laughs> but it, everyone has their own way of dealing with things, and I just think make it work for oh tr trust me everyone has their own vices myself included so i'm definitely uh i can definitely identify a bit with the smoking yeah. there so don't worry <laughs> uh okay i know we're we're running out of time here so um i i created this program for 
I, I essentially created this program because of problems that I was experiencing myself. Like I really wished that in undergraduate programs or even in a graduate program, there were there were more programs that you know exposed the entrepreneurship side of things, so to speak. And I'm really adamant about that because I find that there's a big misalignment now between what people want to be versus what they enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. So what can people do to change this? What can they perhaps ask themselves? What can they maybe expose themselves to that um, might change their viewpoint? Yeah, I think it's noticing what you enjoy spending the most time doing. Um, for me, this this kind of enlightenment a bubble came for Alinea when I was doing hours of research for my thesis, trying to figure out what I wanted to write it about. And I ended up writing it about the topic of what I'm doing today. And so I really highly encourage people to kind of, whenever they're enjoying reading about something or studying something, especially in school, to kind of double down the efforts on that because um, that's how they'll figure out that they are really passionate about uh, a certain thing or uh, or topic. And so I also would highly recommend people joining clubs in school. Broadening your network is, your network is everything. Um, and uh, yeah, joining different clubs, like for me, the, the Columbia Women's Business Society and the, the Organization for Rising Entrepreneurs, like those opened up so many chapters um, and doors for me. You mentioned the mom test. What are some other books or resources that people can look into? What are your, what are your top picks? My topics, uh, 10 Hard Things About Hard Things. I love that book. Um, what am I doing? Oh, Hooked. I love the the Hooked book. I, I was reading it um, currently. Uh, but also just spending time on, on Y Combinator Startup School. Uh, they have incredible resources. So for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur, I would highly recommend watching those videos, um, reading through Paul's notes, as you've been doing, <laughs> um, and even pod- other podcasts to listen to. Um, like People should constantly be just learning and trying to figure out what they love doing. That's it. I really want to thank Eve for coming on today, especially given her busy schedule at the moment. It was very kind of her to dedicate time to the program. My name is Cassius Velichellen. This is Homeroom. Be sure to check us out on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at Homeroom Podcast. Thanks for listening.